This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Office of Personnel Management has reached a milestone it hasn't seen since 2015. OPM Director Kieran Ahuja just hit one year in office as agency head. Ahuja has made progress in her position, for example, giving feds time off to vote and bringing back the presidential rank awards after a year's hiatus. But the agency is hitting a few bumps in the road. Many feds, for example, shared in the 2021 Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey they're not happy with return to office plans. Federal News Network's Drew Friedman sat in with Ahuja at a press conference where she discussed OPM's priorities for telework. We want to encourage greater telework and remote work. You know, we also have to balance and each agency has to balance what are the operational needs at this current moment? What are the set of like technologies that you have to do that. I think in many ways, because some of us are stymied by the fact that we don't have some of the um, technological improvements um, in place. I mean, I think this is going to really push that forward, but we do have to balance the operational piece with the fact that we want to really support employees, right? in work-life balance and what they have grown to love and be accustomed to during the pandemic. And we know we need to do that to be uh, competitive. So I think You know, that is what we have advised agencies. And when I talk to our colleagues, they are each dealing with their own like subset and unique kind of situations. Uh, I will also just, we say this a lot, more than 50% of the workforce is, shows up on site because that is their job. So it's just, you know, we have, you know, the largest workforce in the country, right? It just, it is highly complex. Therefore, it poses a number of challenges. The last thing I'll say, Julie, is that, you know, I'll stay top of mind for a lot of my colleagues is also kind of, the equity, you know, that's involved. You're not attaching it to a person, you're attaching it to the position. And then you're mindful that certain offices uh, or more like highly professional positions allow for more remote work than those that are more administrative, right? I don't think we've figured that out yet. We have a future of work website where we have a lot of resources on there for agencies. We do kind of hybrid management training. We're going to be building out a much broader robust workforce strategy in the coming months, looking towards after re-entry, what is the state of play? The last thing I'll mention is, you know, even though people are coming back, like the buildings are not full. So what does that mean for like our federal physical footprint, you know, and how do we rethink these shared workspaces? When you started a year ago, you said you wanted to include a mixed focus on both the regulatory and legislative sides of your job. And at the time when you first started, you said in the short term, you were focused more on the regulatory side. So giving agencies technical and policy guidance. And after I was wondering, after a year, has your focus shifted at all? You said early on that you wanted to engage more with partners on Capitol Hill. So I was wondering what progress you've made there and what's your plan going forward to prioritize the legislative side? That's a great question, Drew. And we've been we've been quite focused on that, as you know, kind of crafting these legislative proposals takes some time. You know, we want to make sure that we're coordinating with with OMB and with a number of other agencies. We have a number of proposals in the pipeline that we are working through kind of internal processes, some of which actually were uh, shared uh, in, in one instance with the recent VA PAC bill, where they now have specific provisions focused on their federal workforce. Uh, those were initially introduced to the committee as government-wide. And so unfortunately they didn't go forward government-wide, but they are now available to VA to be able to utilize. We have been working on what we are crafting as as a set of 
proposals focused on OPM and strengthening OPM. And those are proposals that we hope to move forward in the near future. And then a big part of of what the team has been working on, we have a set of proposals uh, keenly focused on cyber talent and where we still face challenges. I think really, you know, the biggest challenge that I have heard and and I hear quite often is just from other agencies competing with each other and um, also competing with the DOD and DHS system, which is now set up for them to be quite competitive, you know, in the field. And we don't want that to be at a disadvantage for, for other agencies. So that's kind of a sampling, but you're quite right. We're still continuing on the regulatory piece, but we absolutely need to be proactive. And I'll say, Drew, finally, that this is something I'm, I'm, I've really tried to kind of hammer home to the team, which is, I think in a lot of ways, OPM in the past has been very reactive to legislation, like things coming our way versus like our team has great ideas and we just need to be able to build the resources and carve out the time to be able to push those forward. You're listening to OPM Director Karen Ahuja speaking at a press conference attended by Federal News Network's Drew Friedman. Another thing that you talked about early in your tenure was focusing on modernizing retirement services. And that's something that many past OPM directors have also mentioned as a priority, but sometimes other things will divide OPM's attention, like the proposed GSA merger, for example. How are you working to prioritize retirement services while you still have other things on your plate? And, you know, just improving those services that have historically been plagued by old technology and outdated processes. How hard is it to walk and chew gum, right? You know, I spoke to this point around consistent leadership. I think that's really important. These kinds of issues where you're dealing with major systems that are very complex, the retirement system that is completely paper-based can be very challenging. And also because the fact that OPM has had a fairly disruptive history, right, where, where it has taken the tension away, like you've mentioned, Drew, with not only the merger, but before that, when I was here with the data breaches, which really, again, pulls attention away from some consistent focus. So we have been doing that in tandem with our regulatory and legislative uh, personnel side of the work that we do. And a big part of that has been the retirement services has been uh, underfunded over the the past number of years in the past administration. So we have had to build up the staffing so that we could be more customer service oriented. And that's what we've done. We've had a number of staff coming in. We've set up a new cloud-based contact center that's still working through its iterative process and its kinks, but we've had to hire new customer service reps. We are also working through an unprecedented surge in retirement, also a backlog that we've inherited from the pandemic. So both and as we are trying to make small modernizing changes, such as this should not be novel, but, you know, scanning records and documents. So, you know, that becomes sometimes uh, overly cumbersome process in government around the various uh, processes uh, and clearances to do that and then to do that across multiple agencies. So we've got small projects in place around piloting an online retirement application. We are also working towards an online calculator for retirees or prospective retirees to do some of those calculations. We have also putting together an 18-month kind of modernizing plan, which is really, I think, where we've been successful is to take these small pieces and tackle them versus 
The biggest advice I got from a prior director, Linda Springer, when she decided she was going to try to modernize the entire retirement services was don't take on the whole kind of kit and caboodle, but really try to tackle it in a much more kind of strategic and iterative process. We have new leadership, which has been key, and we're also building out the leadership and retirement services. I will say for an organization that's almost a thousand people, it is, has, you know, it has had only three SES at the top of that organization. And to me, that is challenging when you have to do a mix of modernizing and also some change management around reskilling your workers that have, you know, been very committed to the work that they've done, but we have to move ourselves off of paper-based. And finally, we just are going to need to make the case around the resources. You know, we're using them well, but in order to do some of these modernizing efforts, we're going to have to prove that we can take those resources and actually implement them. Ahuja was also asked about progress on implementing the Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Accessibility Executive Order from last June and how OPM is helping agencies measure their internal improvements on DEIA. We have certainly provided templates, said here's where you need to be on a continuum, you know, where if you're just starting out or if you have a much more kind of sophisticated approach. And a lot of that is really the understanding and appreciation and socializing of these issues within the organization. We have DEIA professionals like all over the federal government. The question is in their organization, do they have the agency and resources, right? And the ability to influence, to kind of create some of these changes. And I think the idea around this executive order was to do that. And so we do have a lot of work ahead of us. I think it was a baseline and benchmark. One thing we're doing is now creating these dashboards around metrics for agencies. So again, we want to know where we started and where we Mm -hmm. need to go. We need to kind of adopt more of the best practices that are in other sectors because you need to have that kind of focus in the top leadership in an organization. And, you know, we have to really become much more data-driven. What I mean by that is we are going to be also supporting agencies around how to do barrier analyses how to do kind of pay equity analyses. So all those things I think are just kind of the muscles we need to build inside the federal government and to have kind of that focused attention. That's OPM Director Kieran Ahuja speaking at a press conference with Federal News Network's Drew Friedman. You can find Drew's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Still to come, Congressman John Sarbanes weighs in on telework and his new bill having to do with federal workplace. This is The Federal Drive with Tom Temin here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Hello, I'm WIPA CEO Shane Canfield, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Lessons in Leadership. I'm honored to be joined by Angie Bailey, founder and CEO of Ananda Life. Angie has a remarkable career in public service, beginning as a GS2 clerk typist with the Social Security Administration. And over the next 40 years, Angie steadily worked her way up through the government, ultimately becoming the Chief Human Capital Officer at the Department of Homeland Security. She's been recognized with presidential rank awards by two administrations for leadership, innovation, dedication, and commitment to the country. Angie, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Shane. What a pleasure to be here. Angie, you've made quite a name for yourself as a leader in the federal workforce. Who was the first person you remember looking up to a as a leader, and what about them inspired you? You I often think about this because, you know, sometimes we think of the people that we look up to the most as being somebody that throughout our career has, you know, been at the highest levels and all. But, you know, I've got to go back to honestly, whenever I was 10 years old, and uh, I remember I really wanted to play Little League baseball on a boys team. I was the only girl. 
And interestingly, it was the women who would keep saying to me that, no, I couldn't play. And then one day, whenever I was there to sign up yet again, uh, there was this guy, his name was Delbert Beiser. And uh, I remember he had like red hair and he had a wad of tobacco in his mouth and greasy overhauls and everything. And he said, you know, I'll take her, I'll take her on my team. And, you know, just looking back on that, there's so many leadership lessons and things that I just really admire about him. And actually, I thought about throughout my entire career, he took a chance on somebody he didn't know. He um, put aside whatever conscious or unconscious biases that he might have had about having a girl on a team. He treated me the same, Uh, whether, you know, if I wasn't performing, I got benched just like the boys. I got no special treatment. and, and, And he was just really honest with me and he just included me in everything. And so looking back on it, you know, really, it was Delbert Beiser, our local mechanic in our little small village that was I think my inspiration for going on to, I hope, become the leader, um, you know, that that I wanted to be. I'd say half of the guests on this podcast have had similar stories where they reach back to either childhood or young adulthood. And And I think as leaders, it's really incumbent upon us to keep that in mind, that that what we say and do especially in the younger ages, really can have a lifelong impact. How would you describe your leadership style and and how's that developed over time? I would say that the one word that describes my leadership style is that I care. Um, I guess that's more than one word, but I care. Uh, I've always cared about the mission. I've always cared about the people. I've always cared, you know, about making sure that that they had what they needed or that they were developing the way, uh, you know, that they aspired to develop. And I tried to take this approach of not treating people the way I wanted to be treated, but instead treat people the way they wanted, they want to be treated. And I think that that really kind of developed over my career. You know, I started out just like most leaders do where it's very results driven. It's all about the bottom line. You need to make sure that you get everything accomplished because, you know, that's what everybody's looking for, the goals, the metrics, et cetera. But I think as you mature and you go along, you start to, to your point, you draw back on those early childhood days or early adult young, you know, whenever you're a young adult and you say, you know, I think that there's a little bit more to this than just the bottom line. And so over time, I really began to, I, I think, see a much bigger picture and the entire ecosystem, if you will, and how the people themselves fit into all of this. And that ultimately, at the end of the day, it was all about the people. And so, I, you know, I think my, my maturity allowed me to then shift and focus more on the people than, than so much on results and bottom line. You've been recognized with two presidential rank awards two different administrations. You founded your own company. Tell us a little bit more about your background from the beginning and, and how did that lead you to where you are today? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting, like you said, that I started out as a GS2, a Social Security Administration. I mean, what I really wanted to be was a criminal prosecuting attorney. It's, that's That was absolutely my dream. I sometimes joke and say what I really wanted to be was a mafia don, but that wasn't going to work out. So, you know, had to be a criminal prosecuting attorney. But, you know, I had to get a job to pay for college. I, you know, it wasn't in the cards that I was going to be able to go to college without a job. So I applied at the Social Security Administration, or I'm sorry, at the unemployment office, and lo and behold, I got a job at Social Security. I didn't even know it was federal, to be honest. Uh, From there, I went to the Department of Defense, 
And I found this, this career field called labor and employee relations. And honestly, it was as close as I was going to get to being a criminal prosecuting attorney. I didn't go on to be a, a criminal prosecuting attorney, but I went on courtesy of Department of Defense to get both my bachelor's and my master's in leadership because the whole study of leadership, I just find incredibly fascinating. Um, you know, from hi historical to current uh, current times, I just, it's just something that's just really fascinated me. And so I just, I would say I'm a lifelong learner of leadership. And then I would say some of the other things that got me maybe where I am today is I never really said no to anything. If people asked me to take on a new challenge, even if I wasn't sure I was going to be successful at it, I would say, you know what, not sure this is going to work out, but more than happy to give it a try. And it always worked out. But I think giving things a try and just not saying no to opportunities is what really led from one position to the next. I feel like I was always rewarded for just stepping in or stepping up and taking on the challenges that sometimes no one else wanted to do. Angie, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Shane. It's such a pleasure. I, I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Thank you. This has been the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm CEO of WEPA, Shane Canfield. Looking forward to talking to you next time. Will you and everyone you work with lose their minds if you don't use Upwork to bring in more talent to help? Yep. Can you afford to spend months finding that talent the old-fashioned way? Nope. Can you hire them in seconds on Upwork? Yep. Is it complicated? Nope. Can you have them as long as you need? Yep. Longer than you need? Nope. Is Upwork a newer, better way to work? Yep. Is this commercial over? Nope. What about now? Yep. Upwork. This is how we work now. Love Target? Well, you're about to love it even more. With Target's Red Card Debit Card, you'll save 5% every Target trip, on top of everyday low prices, in-store and online. Debit Red Card links from your existing bank account. Visit Target.com slash Red Card to get all the details. Restrictions apply.